So I found out that I snore. Never thought I would be a snorer. And I still don't really think I do, but my wife has accused me of being a snorer. So I haven't been sleeping in the bedroom lately. Kicked out. Because if the baby's going to wake her up, you can't have a husband also waking her up. I'm still trying to be helpful. I'm still trying to be helpful, but I've been kicked out. It's okay. I'll be back one day. I'll be back. I'll learn how to sleep in a different position where I stop amplifying bass out of my nose. Holy shit. But what this means is in the morning, we have a little exchange. Hey, how'd it go on your end? Uh, It was terrible. How about you? Yeah, not good. Not good. The first morning conversation is usually really brief and really demoralizing. Hey, how was it last night? She was up at 1, 2.20, 3.15 till 5. I think I slept from 5 to 5.12. And then at 5.12, I fell asleep for 12 seconds. And I've been up ever since. How about you? And usually I go, oh, that's terrible. But this morning was the typical morning exchange as you're still waking up. You're not even really awake. Okay, this is way before coffee. This is way before you're expected to even sound like a human. You know that very first conversation where you're too groggy to make any sense? So my wife says, how'd you sleep? And I said, I actually feel some anxiety spiking. I don't know why, but my dreams were a little weird. I read an article about bears going into homes in Lake Tahoe, just going into homes to eat the food. And I think I had an eight-hour dream about bears surrounding our house attempting to get in through the sliding glass doors and eventually one bear got in and that was it mauled me. I lost the fight. And as I woke up, I was like not able to come to my senses. I wasn't able to shake it. I was still thinking, wait, could a bear come in here? I think I'm scared right now. Even though I'm awake, I think I'm scared right now of a bear attack. Grown ass man telling his wife in the morning that he is scared of a bear attack. And she just looked me up and down said, get a grip, sir get a grip. And then I started to wake up a little bit and realized as I was brushing my teeth, I just told my wife I'm scared of getting attacked by a bear in our home. And I wasn't kidding. Wasn't even kidding at all. Yeah. I had an anxiety spike this morning. I I just think a bear could potentially get in here. Fuck enough bear articles. Okay. I'm done. I think I need to be done with news, done with Twitter, done with Facebook. I'm too sensitive to all this shit. I just read the bad news. They shouldn't call it news. Just, hey, have you heard about the bad news lately? Are you up to date on the bad news? The current bad events? It's too much, folks. It's too much. You know it's too much. Unless you're desensitized by now. Those are the two groups of humans. You've consumed too much craziness in the last couple of years from hurricanes to the pandemic to wildfires to unruly passengers on flights to white supremacists who want to march in the streets. You've just read it and read it and read it to anti-vaxxers. You just keep reading it. Now you're desensitized or there's people who are constantly shocked and dismayed and thrown into a tizzy. With each and every story. I think I'm on the tizzy side. I think I get tossed into a mini tizzy. With each and every heavy negative news story. Folks. Shall we meditate right now? In through the nose. 
Hold it. Notice the point where an inhale becomes an exhale and exhaling, feeling your feet on the ground, mindful and present in this moment. Okay, I'm back, baby. I'm back, baby. This morning after the bear attack fear, I asked my wife, hey, how are you doing? And she said, yeah, that baby, yeah, didn't sleep well. And I look at the baby and the baby just looks cute. Actually, the baby is chunky. The baby is so fat. I could use all these cute words like doughy and chubby. I got a fat little baby and that's wonderful. All right. That milk is not 2%. It's not skim milk. That's full fat booby milk. Fill in my baby to the brim. This kid looks like Winston Churchill. This baby looks like Vern Lundquist. I mean the current Vern Lundquist. That ain't pretty. Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. The baby's cute, but she does look like Vern. She looks like Paul from Cheers, a rarely referenced character. You think of Norm, Cliff, Coach, Woody, Ted Danson, Carla. You know, Paul used to stand next to Cliff. He was on that side of the bar. So Norm was on the stool. Paul was like right beside Cliff. Google Paul from Cheers, and that's my baby. Chunky little thing, ain't she now? You hear? Real cute. And you know what everyone says? She looks like you. Josh, she looks like you. And guess what she does? She does. First daughter? Nah, not so much. Most people say looks like my wife, and I get offended every time. I go, what? Just my wife? You can't see any? Any of me in the first daughter? So I'm coming to terms with that, maybe a little bit. But the second one, that's all me. That's just a chunky butterball, gumball, Brussels sprout, Josh Rosenberg. And I looked this up. According to psychology today, parents like that. What I found was that it's important for babies to look like the fathers. So the fathers know the wife didn't go out, cheat, have an affair, receive some sperm from elsewhere. And then fake it like it was yours. I know that sounds a little Maury Povich, a little Jerry Springer, but still. Something in our ego wants our kids to look like us. And even that's kind of weird. Like, who really cares, right? Do we even love the way we look so much where we're like, our offspring must look like us? But yeah, the new baby looks like me. Which means I look like Paul from Cheers. Which means I look like Vern Lundquist. Which means I... Look like Winston Churchill leading the Royal Air Force against the Luftwaffe. Welcome to history class. How are you? It's episode 154, 154. You're still doing this? You're still doing this. Look at you. Do you know how much I love you? You're still on this ride? Thank you. Leave a review on iTunes. I never say that anymore. I realized I need to start saying that. I need a little more self-promotion. Leave a nice rating review on iTunes. Do it. Sounds demanding, right? I just know that that's what I should say at this point. Okay. You know the progression of episodes. Some have themes. In the last episode, I didn't really mention COVID once. That's amazing. Didn't even talk about the pandemic once. So in this episode, I got to bring it up in the sense that we're all receiving the same emails, right? I don't care where you work. Are you getting the emails? Someone tested positive? Emails are just flooding inboxes in every school, in every business, throughout the country, maybe most of the world. It's just part of work now. Isn't that true? It just seems like, oh yeah, it's part of work now. 
you're scrolling through your inbox, says somebody you work with tested positive. Or if you're in education, one of your students or one of your coworkers tested positive. And for a moment, it seems like a big deal. For a moment, it seems big. And then you realize, I'm just one teacher at one school, whereas every school throughout this country is dealing with this. Every level, elementary school, middle school, high school, all college campuses, they're just sending out these emails. And guess what? We're just continuing. Students are not going back to Zoom. Campuses, businesses, they're going to stay open. I don't think businesses are going to close down ever again. Even if the surge spikes higher. You're a restaurant right now? I think you're keeping the open sign. You're a school right now? I don't think you're sending the kids back home. I think we're just living with it. We are officially living with it. I get an email every single week. Somebody has tested positive. Then I go, okay. We're in masks. School's going to continue. They're playing sports. We even had an outdoor rally. We're living with it. Concerts are happening. Sports events are happening. Fans are in the stands. Flights are full. People are going to go on vacation. It's the result of people going with the flow to the best of their abilities, but still saying, we're not, we're not going back into a shelter in place. And the reason why I sound so nonchalant is because a lot of us, especially in my area, are vaccinated. I think I read about 80% of adults in the Bay Area are vaccinated, which is way ahead the rest of the country, way ahead of the rest of the country where, what, it's not even 50% of all adults? So you realize a breakthrough case could happen, but it's rare. Chances of a COVID breakthrough case, what are they saying? One in 10,000. Highly unlikely, not impossible. So if you wonder, is the fear warranted? To still be scared if you're vaccinated and you wear a mask in most public places, is fear warranted? The stats don't matter. When discussing fears, think about this for a moment. Facts and stats Data doesn't matter at all. Fear can exist beyond rational thought. And I have to think this way because I know I'm in a bubble. I know I'm in a bubble of people that embrace the vaccine. There's certainly states in the South, a few in the Midwest, where they look at the vaccine differently. It's been politicized. Maybe something about the media you consume or your religion or your health condition or you heard this and you heard that. I don't know. For all the reasons people are not getting vaccinated, whether it's science denial, misinformation, or just downright fear. I can understand fear. I can understand fear. Now, when you're technically hurting the greater good, that's what you're doing. You're hurting the greater good of society. Eh, it's tough to be compassionate, but I want to understand fear for a moment because I'm a fearful motherfucker. Every time I've ever been in the ocean, I'm thinking about sharks. Every time I've ever stepped foot in an ocean, I'm thinking about sharks the whole time. Therefore, it's not enjoyable. Chances of a shark attack? One in five million. I looked it up. Looked it up. One in five million. I'm never going to see a shark. Shark's never going to bite me. Although there was a story of a guy from my neighborhood, Jonathan Catherine, got bit by a shark while boogie boarding. He got bit by a shark while boogie boarding. And Jonathan was on the news. And I was thinking, okay. Too close. Stinson Beach. He lives down the street. Yeah, sharks are just going to attack me. My mother-in-law, very scared of flights. Chances of a plane crash? One in 11 million. 
One in 11 million. I know people that are scared to get on a flight. Guess what? Your plane's not going to crash. One in 11 million. But if you tell that to someone who's scared, just tell them that stat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't register. Stats are out the door. Anything rational, it's out the door. If you have a fear, it's safe to say nothing's going to fix it. Most hikes I go on, I'm thinking about a rattlesnake bite. Most hikes. I like hikes. Don't get me wrong. But if we're going off path a little bit, I'm thinking about that rattlesnake bite. Googled it. One in 41,000. Okay. I don't even know the sources of these fucking stats I'm giving you right now, but you could Google anything and just go with the first entry. Let me expand on that. Seven to 8,000 rattlesnake bites per year in the U.S., but only about five of those people die. Sounds like a lot of rattlesnake bites throughout the U.S. All these people that hike. Actually, I shouldn't just say hike. You could get bit by a rattlesnake in other places. Gas station bathroom. Oh, God. Have you ever heard of a story of a snake coming through the toilet? Bite you right in the ass? I have. I think I heard about it once in the 80s. Also, the movie Ghoulies. It's in my head. So sitting on the toilet, fear. Uh, Chances of being bit in the balls or the ass. Based on an animal coming through a toilet, one in 36 million. (laughs) Who is keeping this data? Just Google anything. It's there. So rattlesnake bites, about 8,000 per year in the U.S., but only five of those people die. So Josh, come on. What are you scared of? I'm also scared of uh, bears being able to come into my home. Try to talk me out of that. Or how about just, let me sound more normal for a moment. Chances of my home being robbed are actually pretty high. I Googled this as well. Home invasion. Chances are pretty high. One in 36 homes. One in every 36 homes in America, according to FBI crime report data, getting burglarized. So actually that fear might be warranted. Which is why a lot of people feel justified for having guns around the house. All right, but I know if I had a gun, let's just say tonight. Let's say tonight. I'm sleeping and I hear it. Someone comes in. I hear the sliding glass door open. It's not a bear. It's probably a human. And I come out with my gun. Am I going to shoot this person? Like, do I have that in me? Do I have that in me? Did you shoot the person? I don't know. It's a question I discuss with my students all the time. I discuss a lot of wild stuff with my students. For instance, this week we're getting into the scientific revolution, just talking about Copernicus and Kepler and Galileo, getting to Sir Isaac Newton. We just talk about all the scientific discoveries and advancements, looking for evidence and proof as you study the natural world, challenging the church's authority to teach science. And I ask them, what do you think's coming next? What do you think's next? What's the next big invention? What's the next big advancement? And they talk about modes of transportation, new things in modern medicine, how to fix this, how to fix that, new apps for the phone. It's a fun discussion. Anything from space exploration, finding inhabitable planets, to self-driving cars, to flying cars. We talk about this. And then eventually I ask them, what is a classroom going to look like in 50 years? And of course they say, robot teachers. And I go, exactly, exactly. Why allow flawed humans to teach your kids? We'll have robot teachers. And then I tell every class, to be very honest with you, I am a robot teacher. And I don't really get too deep into that voice. But I tell them, I am a robot programmed by Google Classroom Technology. I'm one of the first. 
So this is an experiment. They're rolling it out with just a few teachers throughout America, but I am one of them. Mr. Rosenberg might look like a human on the outside with skin, with human hair, might look like these are real eyes, but on the inside it's just wires. I said, no blood, no guts, no bones, no internal organs. It's just wires. And when you all leave, I plug myself in right there in the corner. And I point to the corner and I say this very seriously. And I've only had these kids since like August 17th. So there's actually a few of them believing this shit. And I like to look at their faces when I tell them I am a robot from Google. Along with your Google Classroom, I am here to deliver you world history I told him, you come to your 20-year reunion, your 30-year reunion, you come to this classroom, I'm always going to look the same. I'm not aging. They built me in this current form with a little gray hair, a little bit of wrinkles, great shoes every day. And after I tell them this, because I know where the conversation's going. When you teach long enough, you kind of know where the conversation's going. Every year I tell the kids I'm a robot teacher when we talk about the scientific revolution, and then the hands go up. The hands go up. I had like 30 questions today and I had answers for all of them. Boom, boom, boom. Press conference mode. Boom, boom, boom. And then this one girl said, well, where did your beard go? Because I shaved. I shave once a month and I shaved my beard and I was stumped. I was like, shit, you got me. You got me. Okay, I'm really a human. Because why would a robot shave? That's the one that stumped me. That's the one. What the hell was I talking about? Bear attacks, rattlesnakes, sharks, Jonathan Catherine, COVID work emails. Ah, I think I spiraled out of control. I don't think there's any chance I could get back to my original thought. I don't. And I don't think I have much tonight. But I know the NFL started and I was excited. I think that's what happens. If you're a sports fan, as you grow up, Football just becomes better. I don't feel that way about baseball. I don't feel that way about basketball. I don't feel that way about golf, tennis, soccer, any other sport. But football, there's something about once a week, the pageantry, the unity of a fan base. There's a lot that goes into it. College football and NFL, I'm amped. So tonight, Brady and the Buccaneers just beat the Cowboys. Hell of a game. It was like a really exciting game. But I now know that I can't watch a game without thinking about the gambling implications. I just can't watch a game without knowing the spread. I got to know the over-under, even if I'm not betting. And I realized the NFL, it's a powerhouse still. It's always going to be a powerhouse of an organization, of a business. But they now rely on the gamblers, on the fantasy football addicts, all these websites making money for having these online pools, the NFL relies on all the unsavory characters who come into the stadiums looking for fights, getting way too drunk. I like how the NFL acts like they're so upset about that. Oh, all the binge drinking at our games, we're really going to try to crack down on that. That two-point conversion was brought to you by Coors Light. Everything's a beer ad. Everything's a beer ad. It just screams alcohol consumption. And you have these men. You have a lot of men who feel such an allegiance to their team, like tribalism is on display. So the NFL thrives on gambling, fantasy football geeks, the over-the-top fanatics, the people that, you know, just deck themselves out in tattoos and jerseys and are blacked out by halftime. 
The league thrives on people like this. I think you're in the minority. If you're just a normal fan, you don't gamble. You don't own 50 jerseys in your closet. You don't play fantasy football. If you just tune in to an NFL game like I did tonight, wasn't betting on it, not a fan of the Buccaneers or the Cowboys. Just, I enjoy the athleticism. I enjoy a good game. I never felt like I was more in a minority. I had no fantasy football implications, no wagers, not in any pools yet. I wasn't drunk. I was thinking, wow, I'm a dying breed. This type of football fan, we're the minority. If you just watch a game casually because you enjoy tackle football at a high level, we're a dying breed. So yeah, by next week, I'll be gambling. One of my coworkers, the film teacher at Novato High, great dude. I walked in today. I said, Buccaneers, Cowboys tonight? He's like, yeah. He sent me three links immediately for all these pools he's in. For 100 bucks, you can do a pick em. He's saying, this league, this is my buddy. We've been doing this for years. It was just like on the top of his list of things he wanted to talk with me about. Nothing academic. Just, hey, Cowboys. Okay, so tonight, you think they have a chance? And we're immediately into it. And immediately, I want to just give him my credit card. I want to give him my Venmo. Okay, get me in that pool. Get me in that league. Okay, I want to be in that. Okay, I want to just be a degenerate all season long. I want to. I'm tempted. I can't. I won't. I'm not doing it. I don't even think I have the ability to get on that couch for more than an hour. Babies are no joke. But not only did I love the conversation, coworkers having football conversations, that's Americana. That's a slice of Americana. Just like apple pie and drive-ins. Think of Americana. What comes to mind? Coworkers talking football, talking gambling at work. And I don't think it should be stigmatized at all. That's the weirdest thing to me. I understand why most things are stigmatized or even viewed as criminal activity. But gambling? Why can't you just log on to any gambling website at all businesses and schools throughout America? What are we censoring? What are we restricting? With my own money, I'd like to place a wager tonight. I like the over-under on Tampa Dallas. You can't do it. It's frowned upon. It is frowned upon. Tell me why. I don't know. That one's a mystery to me. All these gambling laws, like the territory of where you could build a casino, where you can't build a casino, where you could play Keno in a diner and where you can't play Keno in a diner. Even some of these casinos on reservations, you go there and they're like, we can legally play this game. We cannot legally play that game. Who's making the gambling rules? We cannot play roulette with a marble. We have to use a gumball. We can't play craps with dice. We have to use cards. There's some weird rules out there. It's all offshore. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. You kidding me? People are finding a way to do it. Just like anything they tell you you can't do. You can't do it when you're young. Actually, any age. It's more tempting if you can't do it. That's a thought I have put out of my head entirely. When are these girls, I mean, it's a three and a half year old and a two month old right now, but when are they going to do something just downright against the law, against the rules. Why? Because it's fun. Because it's fun when you're young to break a law, to break a rule once in a while. It's not even in my mind. And I'm going to have to be the authority figure that reprimands. I'm going to have to be a disciplinarian. Even though I'll look into their eyes and go, I was you. I was you. That moment of empathy where I go, I get it. Sneaking out. To have a 40 ounce by the creek. I get it, Mila, But you're grounded. It's coming. And most people my age feel like they're cool parents, right? 
you feel like you're cool parents. I said that to my wife this week. We're cool parents, right? And she's like, fuck no. Are you kidding me? We're going to be such dorks in their eyes from our music to our fashion. We feel cool. We think the house is cool now. Like, hey, toddlers, let's cut up a watermelon. Listen to some Rafi and watch a little Peppa Pig. Aren't we cool? Yeah, we're cool right now. But I fear that they won't want to watch Saturday Night Live with me. I fear that. I fear that maybe they'll listen to Paul Simon and say, this sucks. I fear that. I fear they might look at my Nike Air Max shoes and say, not cool. There's no chance, right? Come on. Nike Air Max, timeless. Am I going to end with that? Nike Air Max, timeless? No, I had a cutesy. I, I had a cutesy observation. I'll end with this. If you don't want any more cutesy, you stop listening right now, okay? It's okay. We won't miss you. But we go to a restaurant once a week. You go to a restaurant, it's got to be a kid-friendly restaurant. I say, can we have a booth far away from everybody? That's what I say to the hostess every time. Hi, table for four. Can we have a booth so far away from everybody? Because we're about to litter this floor with noodles and rice. And there might be some screams and cries. And I've looked at every booth we've left in the last year because all my daughter eats are Butter noodles. That's it. She became a picky eater. I don't know when, but she became a picky eater. And I look and there's greasy handprints of butter hands all over the booths of the restaurants. And that's a sight that I just love. I know it's not great. I know someone has to clean it. And I'll try with my napkin. But I know someone's going to have to clean that. Someone's going to have to come over and be like, fuck that family. Ugh. We try. We do try to keep it neat and nice. But when I look at the greasy butter noodle hands on the booth, on the red leather booth, at BJ's, it warms my heart. It's very specific. I think that's the goal in life, to make it very micro. Find your sources of joy. Make sure they're really small, specialized, like only things that your eyes enjoy. I think the smaller I can go on this micro level of sources of joy, I think that's one of my goals. Because when I go macro and I look at the whole world, whoa, shit, fuck, it's heavy, it's dark, it's scary. And then sometimes if something as little as Little toddler hands, greasy hands on a booth brings me a little bit of joy. I don't know why, but that's what I'm looking for. It's the little things. It's the little things. Marinate on that for a moment. Marinate on that. What's one of the little things in your life? Little things. Think about it right now. I'm going to have a silent forum. Think about one of the little things. Not like, I like the beach. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I, I enjoy the beach, the waves. No, 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 no. Too obvious, too macro. Think really small relative to your family, your world. What's one of the little things that you just love? Think about it. Embrace it. It's probably comparable to those greasy butter noodle hands. All right, I'm out of here. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to read this Bourdain World Traveler book which is eh, but I got to see the Bourdain documentary, which I heard is yeah, good. All right, that's it. It's episode 154. It's done. It's already in the books. I'll talk to you soon. 